If you're serious about betting, this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the Serious About Betting podcast features me, your host, Ben Cronin, and some of the biggest names and brightest minds in the world of betting. On the show today, we've got someone who is normally doing the interviewing. He's the host of one of my favorite podcasts. It's Jake from The Business of Betting. Welcome to Serious About Betting on the Pinnacle Podcast, Jake. How are you? Very good, mate. Thank you very much for having me. It's exciting to, to jump on the other side and talk about betting with you today. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. The, the interviewer becomes the interviewee, so we'll have to have a, a nice, decent chat and just and see what happens. Um, I think the, the logical place to start is, obviously, a lot of people know you as the, the host of the Business of Betting podcast, but you you're normally asking the questions and, and people might not actually know about the guy kind of behind the microphone. So can you just maybe give us a bit of background, Jake, kind of what came before the podcast and, and where did the interest of betting come from? So I grew up in Australia and as many know, Australia is pretty common for a for a betting community and a betting life. So I, like many there, uh, spent the earlier years in, involved in horse racing, sports betting, things like that, all related to gambling and I've always been pretty fascinated with different gambling games. So I think that was probably the the very early starting point. And, and then through, you know, university, high school, things like that, like many, uh, placed a few bets here and there on the weekend and and maybe got a little bit more serious about it as, uh, as I got older and as sort of things changed in the wagering landscape in Australia. So obviously the iPhone coming out and, and different apps, it wasn't just needing to go down to the pub and and go into a machine or someone at the pub to place a bet. It was, uh, you know, the corporate bookmakers were starting then, fixed odds, horse racing and different products and promotions were starting as we know today. Uh, but that was certainly new back then. And, and as I sort of progressed through that, through university times and getting a little bit more serious about it, but, but never really pulling the trigger to do anything, you know, part-time or full-time uh, with respect to betting. I finished sort of my studies and then sort of had a decision to make career-wise and had a decision to make with uh, where I was going to live actually and, and ended up going to the US after practicing law for a little while in Australia. And then from there, I found that, you know, I was in the US for a while. I lived in the Cayman Islands for a while. I was in, in Europe for a while and now I'm back in the US and have been for a number of years now. But going to different places, I found it challenging to to follow along with my, certainly my favorite sports back in Australia, certainly horse racing and, and even just betting in general. Betting evolves and changes really, really quickly. So even just keeping up to speed on what was happening in the gambling world was pretty difficult. There's plenty of shows out there where you can listen on a Friday and then get you, uh, you know, picks or tips or, or handicapping on, on, soccer, football, cricket, tennis, you know, everything, horse racing. Uh, there wasn't much with respect to just what's going on in the gambling space with, you know, technology, different businesses, what's, where's the innovation lie, what are different people trying to do in the, in the gambling space generally. And instead of complaining about it, which I certainly did for a long time, um, I decided to just, you know, set up a podcast and maybe I hoped it would last two or three weeks. And it certainly did, and it's it's actually still going now. So it's pretty pretty fun to to get forty five minutes with a, a host of different people all around the world. And it certainly may not be everyone's cup of tea to hear from some, you know, punter in Australia, and then a you know technology CEO in Europe, and then some new startup in the US, and some professional gamblers in different sports. But it's certainly been fun for me to have a, a wide range of guests and just hear from them because I think the the one you know gold nugget in the the betting and gambling world is that there is so much information under the surface that is really really useful and i think too often we we lean towards you know picks and tips and things like that and i think there's still a, a massive space out there for for someone to to you know unearth a lot of this information a lot of those nuggets a lot of the the things that people have picked a lot, picked up along the way and you know it's a it's a fascinating space for me and certainly i think others have enjoyed hearing from people that they wouldn't typically hear from. So I think that's sort of the genesis of the podcast, sort of my background and and where I think, you know, things led for me over the last probably decade. Yeah, and I mean you go you go down that list of the the guests on your show. I can't I don't keep track of where you're at. I know you're kind of one thirty, one forty plus, but 
as you said there, it could be anything from a, a CEO to a guy who's just betting by himself and it's right across like horse racing, soccer, NFL, whatever it might be. Um, you're obviously, a, I mean, you've got a great deal of intelligence. You know a lot about the industry. So was there was there a point when you were following or, or placing those bets for a bit of fun on the sports that you followed? Was there any ever, any ever kind of passion or drive to go like full-time betting or, or was it always just a hobby that eventually professional life kind of took over and you you followed something something else absolutely there was i would say certainly in my early 20s there was i was lucky enough to to travel to the u.s in the university breaks uh which is end of the year so in australia it's it's summertime in the u.s it was winter time and and going with some friends around the US and Canada and Mexico and, and that time zone with that type of sports fan and those sports. I really enjoyed college football. I really enjoyed the NFL, watched plenty of hockey and, and basketball and baseball. But I think uh, I realized at that point that a lot of those markets, certainly back in Australia, when I would you know get up at 3, 4 a.m. to watch NFL on a Monday morning in Australia or, or even throughout the weekend, certainly on a Sunday, you can watch plenty of college football. And I think back then ESPN in Australia had the Pac-12 showing so you could watch plenty of Stanford, um, plenty of USC, UCLA games, Arizona, you know, Washington, Washington State and, and games like that and, and Oregon especially. So I remember back in the early days coming back from the US and then being in Melbourne, uh, watching some some Oregon football games and just watching the the betting apps and the pricing and then how it was done. And I don't know the how it was done on the trading side back then, but having some some decent domain knowledge, having watched a fair bit of college football, I would say for the average Australian back then, um, there was plenty of plenty of gaps in the market, plenty of ways to probably make some money, and I thought about it often. Um, certainly back then, it's it's very different to what twenty twenty bookmaking is like. I would say uh, certainly the the focus from the early corporate bookmakers in Australia on something like college football, certainly Pac twelve. Uh, even though it's pretty big and in college, it's still not top tier, I would say, for the Aussie bookmakers. So there were plenty of times on the sports side where I thought there's probably a way to to make some money here. And even on the horse racing side, I think, you know, that was probably what I got started uh, initially with respect to gambling and, and understanding horse racing. And I think it's probably a good place to start for many, just given uh, there's, you know, a number of horses in each race, the pricing up of those horses, whether it's a, you know, a 16 field, you know, major group one versus a, you know, a five or six horse field with a pretty short price favorite. There's, there's plenty of machinations that come with pricing horse racing. And I was certainly fascinated by that and the, the nuance that comes with that. So I think there were probably many, many days and weeks where I thought it would be a, an awesome way to, to, to live and try my hand at, at betting full time. And I never actually pulled the trigger, uh, I would say. And I think now looking back, I'm kind of glad I didn't. I think I don't necessarily have all of the traits that are required to, to win full time and then over a long period of time. And I think I'm probably better suited to maybe corporate life as opposed to, to full time betting and, and gambling. Although I, I would have loved to have seen what would happen if I sort of spent a lot of my 20s doing it. Uh, but I think overall, I'm pretty comfortable with the, the decision. But yeah, I would say the the itch happens often, and even now I I hear about fixed odds horse racing coming to New Jersey soon, which is where I live. And you know, even even those types of things, which are probably pretty mundane for most people, are pretty exciting for me. I'd love to just you know be in my living room and see what the prices look like on you know Australian horse racing late on a Friday night when it's when it's uh, kicking off on Saturday in Australia and seeing what the US prices look like across all the different tracks here in the US and just things like that, which are, yeah, like I said, probably not that exciting for most. I think I still have um, plenty of those itches that, that do exist and will probably exist for a long time. And I think that's one thing that, that helps me through the podcast. I think there's plenty of new areas that I've come across and I'll find different people that are willing to talk about it. And it certainly has been incredibly beneficial to expand my knowledge base. And even the the way you you talk about things and, and I don't know if this is I mean I assume it's 
come from speaking to these kind of people on the on the podcast it's almost like you're you're slightly more removed from the idea of like that that person that had hopes and ambitions of being a better but you can more look at it from like industry or I know you've kind of talked before about like the actual betting product and and how people interact with a sports book and and how people place a bet so is that also something in addition to how things are priced and and how people maybe extract value from markets and things like that are you also interested in the way that that people actually bet in terms of like I don't know sports book interface or the apps and things like that yeah absolutely I think I might be a a degenerate in the sense of every aspect of betting and gambling and gambling games, especially I'm thoroughly interested in. And it might be, you know, if you and I go out for a beer and you say, Jake, I love backgammon. I'm fascinated by backgammon. Um, that's something that I don't know enough about today that I'm generally interested in because I know it has crossover with, with other gambling games. I know it's very popular in, in some parts of the world. I know there's probably things to learn from backgammon that I don't know now that I'm really eager to learn from. So if you were, if you allowed me to, to give, um, you know, 45 minutes of that, that meeting on, on talking about backgammon and learning about backgammon, I'd definitely take you up on it. And there's things like that where, like I said, it's probably more degeneracy than anything else, but I love the idea of why Betfair is as successful as it is or why it isn't as successful as it is. Um, I'm, you know, love talking to, to J-Mac and Sammy, the guys back in Australia who I chat to pretty often about um, all the different aspects that go on with an exchange. I love hearing from people who talk about, you know, market making. I love hearing about, you know, openers on the golf at the moment, what those prices look like, um, you know, recently looking into sort of how efficient are markets because it's often one that, you know, generally people say they certainly tend towards efficiency. But I think from back, you know, back when I was talking about the college football stuff, there's many, many reasons and examples why those markets weren't efficient and aren't efficient. And I think a lot of people still today will say that certainly in the stock market or in, in other gambling games that efficiency has a, a question mark against it, depending on how you define uh, exactly what we're talking about. But I think for, for me, for whatever reason, whether it's back-end technology, whether it's front-end UI, whether it's customer acquisition, whether it's... Uh, high volume bookmaking, whether it's, you know, someone in the US trying to trying to beat the NFL sides, all those different things, whether it's, you know, gambling contests with stale lines, there's so many different aspects to to gambling that interest me. And even sort of on the research side, even looking at the backgrounds of, of people, I'm reading a book called Gambling Wizards at the moment, um, which is goes into Billy Walters and some other famous people. Anything I can get my hands on for whatever reason, I, I enjoy it. And I'll listen to a three-hour podcast if they exist on someone's life and history in gambling or, or just their thoughts on it. And I think the the one thing that is obvious to me is there's so many ways to do it. There's so many approaches and paths into gambling that it's worth listening to people that have done certainly the unusual ways into the industry, whether it is on the betting side or, or whatever it might be. And I think the other thing is it's only starting to take off in a, in a few different jurisdictions like the US where many many smart people are looking at sports betting, for example, uh, even revolutionizing horse racing, if that's possible. And they're looking at it differently to I ha to how I have and how I've been brought up with it and how I would talk to my friends about it. So that is also really fresh and invigorating to hear other people talk about sports betting in ways that I wouldn't or things that I think may not be possible simply because they haven't been done before. And hearing other people, the passion in their voice to say, this is why I think it's possible, why I can do it. And I might immediately think of the hurdles and the challenges, but you can see in their in their eyes and hear in their voice that they're very, very passionate about it too. And you know, I sincerely hope all of them succeed because it'll make for a, a more interesting gambling world. You mentioned the word passion there, and I think that, that probably summarizes one thing you've got in, in abundance towards the, the betting industry. Is it the way you're at now? Is it has passion almost surpassed the 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 actual act of betting, and it's more you're kind of more consumed with how the industry works and what goes in, what goes on in the industry, as opposed to placing an actual bet. Is it is it something you're interested in anymore? Is it something you you even have time for? How does that work? I think you're spot on. I think I was moving around the the world a lot. And for anyone that knows a lot about bookmaking and regulation and the legal side of it, 
it's not very simple to have one bookmaker from my time in Australia to living in the US to living in the Caribbean from there to, to Germany and and then back again. So I think I just got frustrated um, back then, certainly, you know, a number of years ago now when I wasn't able to follow things as closely. And like many, I don't want to give away money to, to bookmakers necessarily or, or other gamblers. So uh, once I realized that, A, I didn't have the time or information to to break even or, or try and get close to break even or win. Uh, and also it was so difficult to, to manage the, the regulation and the legal aspect that it just became more difficult and frustrating than, than it was worth. And, you know, I still would, where possible uh, for entertainment value, you know, engage in some different type of betting. But, but overall, I think that sort of flame burnt out a number of years ago now. And although it was probably the first 25 years of my life where it was the number one focus when it came to betting was actually betting. Um, I think it's sort of shifted a fair bit in the last, you know, five, six, seven years more towards all of the different components that go into the soup that is the the betting world and, and trying to pick apart each of those to understand them better. And, and I think just the one thing that I've been forced to do in my role as host, which has been a, uh, a blessing, is that I have to listen. And I think I learned very early on that the power of listening is is key because I get to hear from many, many people that are smarter than me, more experienced, uh, have better domain expertise in whatever we're talking about. And and actually listening has been probably the most valuable tool in my my betting arsenal. And I think that's something that we can all probably do better. I can certainly do it better. And I think that's something I transferred to life as well. But certainly when it comes to betting, people aren't always willing to give you any useful information um, straight up. And that's why I think having, you know, 45 minutes with someone and, and actually listening and, and guiding them to, to areas that I can tell that they enjoy and they like and they're good at has often brought out some interesting things from, from different people. Obviously, the, the listening side of things, one thing I can say about you, and, and it's, it's clearly a, a genuine passion, it's, it's very authentic. And I think that along with the ability to, to hold a conversation with all these kind of different types of people, that's really what makes the, the business of betting such a, a success. Um, but also with that, and I can speak from experience here, it's, it's not just the, the 45 minute or an hour episode that you do with these people in order to listen and in order to to hold those conversations you've got to you've got to listen to the 3 hour podcasts or whatever it was you've got to read the books you've got to do your research so is before we get too deep into the world of betting is is betting kind of everything for you is there anything outside of betting that, that is kind of like a passion or an interest or or anything like that i think it might just be interesting for the for the listeners to know or or hear from you on that yeah absolutely i mean i think balance is critical and maybe I struggled with it in previous years. I think certainly now it's far better and it's far easier. I think certainly early on I would I would spend probably four or five or six hours a week on the podcast, let's say, if it's one episode a week. Whereas now it's probably it's probably an hour and a half, two hours max. I've got it down to a bit of a science now, so it doesn't override my week necessarily. It's pretty simple to to uh, to get a podcast done in, in ninety or hundred minutes, which has been helpful. But I think Definitely, one. I, I run a lot, so I think running for me is sort of liberating in that it's a it's a way to to basically be free from devices, the internet, and the world essentially. And I do a lot of thinking while I'm running. I certainly run uh, as far as I can uh, many times, where I'm certainly training for for different distances, and I can get out for an hour, an hour and a half, even. Um, that's been helpful. It certainly certain ideas come when I'm running. I think outside of that, uh, having different things that I can focus on has been helpful because yeah, you can probably tell I, I do spend a lot of time actually involved in betting, thinking about it, talking about it. So it's, it's nice to have other things to rely on. I think golf's another thing where I find is, is pretty liberating in that, you know, I can turn my phone off, be out for, you know, four hours and, not have to think about too many things. So I, I do think I've gotten better at balance. And I think it's even, I pick it up from other people in all walks of life. Um, there is a healthy healthy dedication, I would say. And I think I used the word degeneracy before. That might be a little bit over the top, but I think there has to be that balance. There has to be certainly a tipping point where I can't certainly spend you know, 10, 12, 14 hours of my week doing a you know one podcast episode. That'd be pretty crazy. But 
I do think you're right. I think the the built up knowledge over the years, if that's the right word, um, is a key component. And organically having done a lot of the research is is helpful. Uh, organically understanding, you know, Australian racing, understanding sports, American sports, you know, sports betting, having lived through the the earlier stages of the corporate bookmaking revolution in Australia, which has certainly proliferated more globally. And those things by accident or, or however you want to say it, certainly not wasn't my design that I would be born in Australia, grow up there, have that background. But a lot of that has been been critical. And yeah, it's it's an interesting part because I think I could easily get too caught up in it probably. And maybe I have at certain times and maybe that's reflected in some of the conversations being a bit too dry. I'm not sure, but it's certainly a, an area that I've tried to focus on a little bit more heavily in the past 12 or 18 months as well, where I can have a bit more balance in what I'm doing. It probably overall is, is better more generally. Right. Let's, let's talk a bit about the, the benefits of, of hosting a podcast or running your own podcast. You've, you've talked a lot about, or I've kind of given away and, and suggested how much you must have to put into it to make it a success. But again, speaking from experience, I can, I can say it's having these guests on the podcast and stuff like that. You, you have that access to very smart people, very successful people. And obviously you get to ask them the questions you get to learn and things like that. You've done over a hundred episodes now. So what, uh, what some of the like biggest takeaways you've had from from doing the podcast and interviewing all those people? What is it? What has it taught you about betting? So I think the number one thing for, I guess, the general listener and usable information, let's say, is that literally every single person is different that I've spoken to. Many do the same thing or similar things, but every single person is different. Certainly, different backgrounds, different paths into the industry. Some would say, well, they all grew up in Australia or or parts of the world where betting is normal. But I think, you know, each person is is not the same. They have different skills. They have different interests. They have different ways that they apply themselves to betting and gambling. And because of that, I think that makes it possible for pretty much anyone, anyone who finds this podcast and listens to your show, anyone that finds, you know, the Business of Betting podcast and, and other similar shows by you know, definition of them, you know, finding them probably means that they're pretty interested in the space from whatever angle or aspect we're talking about. And, you know, I've certainly found that the people that find out about the podcast that want to apply themselves more heavily in the industry, there is certainly a way for them to do it. It might seem like pretty far off when you when you hear Matthew Trenhale talking about um, bookmaking, or when you hear some of these other professional gamblers talk about how they go about it or how they have over the years. It might be daunting, but I, but they were all, you know, like anyone else when they started out, they were all uh, very interested, not entirely sure probably how they were going to get into it. You hear many of the professionals talk publicly about how they got started. And it's not, I woke up one day and I started, you know, winning at NFL sides and totals straight away. And it was relatively simple. Uh, it's certainly never the case. It, it takes plenty of, uh, years probably of, you know, paying intuition, I call it, where you basically just have to find your path, find your way. And I think that's, I think that's kind of helpful for people to understand that it is in some regards, a, a lifelong endeavor. And it has to be if you want to be good at it, you can't just jump to the top of the queue. It's, it's really difficult to get to the, the tip of the sword. And then once you're there, it's even more difficult to stay there. So I think that's something I've learned that it is for, for probably anyone who's listening. It's There is a path for you. There is a way to do it. If you have the passion, if you have uh, a reasonable amount of dedication, there's some crappy days where you got to do some pretty uh, deep research sometimes where you probably don't want to, or you probably got to download uh, plenty of apps to play around with them. You got to deposit money. You got to play some bets, take it out. Just just try the different bookmaking websites or whatever you're trying to do. There's, there's certainly some uh, getting your hands dirty stuff that may not be that fun for everyone. But I think overall, if you're willing to put in the time and effort and you you found yourself here already, then it's probably a good good chance that you are interested in, in making it work. And I think that's sort of really helpful for people to, to understand because I talk to a lot of people here in the US who are sort of looking to get started and obviously have the passion for it and they're trying to figure out a way to make it work. And I think for those people, um, if you can stick it out and, and continue to, to press on that passion, then there is certainly a path for everyone. Yeah, I must say that one of the things I really enjoy and, and, and respect some of those guys for, the ones that have 
quote unquote made it or the the successful betters and things like that. I really like it when they're not shouting about the success. They come on these podcasts and they they do their own thing, whether it's appearances or, or articles or videos, whatever it might be. And often the the focus is about the grind and the the struggle that it is to get there. And on the flip side of that, you think these guys that have their wads of cash and they shout about how much money you, they've made. It's like, well, if you're not talking about the failures, then like you have to worry or you have to think how many failures are there that they're they're kind of avoiding talking about. Yeah. Totally. And I, I remember probably, probably a year ago, at least now, uh, I was approached, someone wanted to buy the podcast, which is, is very strange, I would say. I didn't really understand what that really meant at the time. <laughs> I didn't really think it was worth anything, to be honest, in terms of, you know, someone buying the podcast, whatever that means. But uh, I remember, it wasn't clear before I jumped on the phone that that was what was happening. And, you know, I had a conversation. I said, look, we're, we're a relatively new business. We're trying to do our own content. It's really hard. Um, we can't poach Ben to do it. And we want to, you know, buy the podcast. Would you be willing to sell it? And I was sort of thinking through, I said, look, I'll have a think about it. I'll get back to you and had another conversation. And I, as I was thinking about it, I sort of said, look, there's probably a way it's good for me to sell this type of podcast because, you know, it's, if it's valuable to them and they're willing to pay for it, then fine. Um, but also it wouldn't be the same if you guys bought it. It just wouldn't be. Uh, I think part, not to say that the host is the only value or anything like that. It's more so that you need to be genuine. You need to be authentic, especially in the betting world. As soon as someone is not genuine or authentic, they are very easily exposed. And I think it's, it's very, very, maybe it's strange and unusual that you can't really get away with too much in betting and gambling. If you're betting full time or, or even part time, you know there's a score sheet at the end of the week and the end of the month that tells you whether or not um, you're doing a good job. And then even if you're doing a good job, then there's plenty of reasons why luck was a major factor and it wasn't actually your own fault as to why you might be winning. Uh, and then outside of just betting and gambling, whether it's content, whether it's talking about betting itself, um, I'm very reluctant to to go into too much detail in areas that I'm just not an expert in, and that's plenty of different areas, but that's why I've certainly found that being genuine, being authentic is critical because all of us can pr pretty much tell straight away in 30 seconds sometimes whether or not someone knows what they're talking about, they know what they're doing. And I don't know if it's entirely unique to betting and gambling, but it's one of the areas in life where you can't really, you know, bullshit your way through a conversation, certainly not a 45 minute conversation with someone talking about betting and gambling. And, you know, I would say even, you know, guests that I've had, um, some people say this person or whatever, they're not authentic or they're not genuine or they don't seem to be, um, you know, fully entrenched in what they're doing as much as they might have hoped. And oftentimes it, it can be found out pretty quick. So I think that's one thing. It takes time to get to a level where you where you are able to, to speak about these different things or do actual things in a way that is genuine and authentic. And I think that's certainly something to keep in mind. And I always try and make sure that I'm not overstepping uh, any of my bounds because it's pretty clear to me that the gambling world will will know and understand that pretty quick and they'll be the first ones to tell you about it. Yeah, I agree that you can't bullshit your way through 45 minutes of talking about betting, but it certainly doesn't stop people trying. <laughs> So on the on the podcast, then it's it's been running. I think you mentioned earlier a good couple of years now, three four years. What's kind of changed for you then doing it? Is it have you have you noticed kind of maybe a more willingness from guests to come forward and feature on the podcast? Is it more kind of the appetite from your listeners and the the types of guests that, that they they want to they want to hear from? Obviously, someone's tried to buy it. That's quite a big change over the couple of years. But what what are some of the big changes that you've noticed? Uh, I was looking back probably six months ago now at all the different episodes. I'm not sure exactly why I was doing that, but I was looking through the different episodes and you probably know this, a lot of feedback in gambling is not a lot. All of the feedback in gambling is negative. I would say you just need to go on Twitter for five seconds. You just need to try and do anything in gambling. And almost always the feedback is very, very negative and maybe rightly so, but um, I was looking at sort of the trajectory of the different shows and the people, and 
I realized in a, in a weird way that it kind of followed my interests at the time, I would say. So certainly early on, it was very Australian horse racing focused because at that time I was still pretty, um, you know, spending a fair bit of time on that and was interested in those people and those industries. And then from there, it sort of, it, there was a couple of, I think there was a Bitcoin episode or two at certain points, probably when I started doing a fair bit of research into into that topic in blockchain. And then from there, it sort of, goes to different parts of the gambling world, maybe in the US for a while, then parts of Europe. And then um, you'll see there'll be you know, a couple of American sports uh, focused pretty heavily, NFL and a few other things, American sports betters, and then some bookmakers and then some more technology type companies and a few CEOs and a few you know, in, you know know young startup companies that are looking to break in. So I think the one thing I've learned, it's kind of followed my interest and in, in what's going on in, in my world a little bit. And I think that's, I think selfishly looking back over the the length of the show so far, the one you know valuable thing for me is just being able to to build a network within the gambling world. And you know, I think if nothing else, all I really want from the show is to be able to have a genuine conversation with someone that I would love to do it outside of the podcast. You know, if I was at a at an event or whatever and they were there and I knew who they were and could pull them aside for 45 minutes and grab a beer and have a chat, then that's kind of sort of the theme of the show for me. So I think that's been the, probably the best thing out of all of this is to be able to do that. And I think as long as it continues, I think that's sort of the, at the heart of the show. I don't really uh, care too much about anything else other than just being able to, to build a network, give, people a, a place to talk about gambling because quite often it's just not possible. Uh, certainly in, in many parts of the world, there's not many opportunities where people get to, to chat for 45 minutes or so about um, you know, their involvement in the betting and gambling industry. And without any, any favoritism or anything like that, is there, over the episodes that you've done, is there one that kind of stands out as, as really enjoyable or, or really insightful or, or maybe just kind of caught you by surprise because you really weren't expecting to, to cover the kind of ground that you did? What's the, what's the ones that stand out for you? It's a very good question. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I have to think about it. I, I truly don't know. I think, uh, I think most weeks I'm a little surprised as to how the conversation went or what we discussed or, you know, there's been some, you know, very, very fascinating people that for whatever reason have agreed to come on. And I think, uh, yeah, that's it. So I think probably, and maybe this is a little strange, but I think a lot of the more experienced people who have done it for decades, I find fascinating. Uh, I think there's probably every, every six or seven episodes, I'm stunned that someone would actually agree to come on. Like I remember um, I think episode three was a guy called Dominic Byrne, who's pretty famous bookmaker in Australia. Um, he's added a lot to the industry over the years. He was taking enormous bets back, you know, before I was born. Um, someone like that very early on, I was shocked as to why he would even entertain the idea. And then even from there, like even Marco, like the fact that he came on and spoke so eloquently about Magic the Gathering, which I'd never really heard of, um, and and what he does, and I, the, the feedback on that was pretty cool. Um, and then through there to like Harry Finlay, who's very popular in the UK, a lot of people know who he who he is. Um, and he has some touch points with Australia as well, and some interesting stories. And and even just you know Roxy Roxborough, who's pretty famous in the US, you know Vegas uh, bookmaker, or, or at least you know started the the line making industry essentially, and he's very well known uh, in the US. So. I mean, every season or every 10 or 15 episodes, I'm, I'm stunned by how these guys who have been doing what they've done for many, many decades are willing to come on and have a chat. Uh, more recently, James Willoughby, he's a fascinating guy to me. I was you know, following him for a number of years and what he would talk about. And he was a very different presenter, I would say, and then how he covered horse racing and gambling. So I always listened to what he was talking about. And then the fact that he wanted to have a chat um, was really, really cool. So I think I'm often stunned about these types of people that there's no way, there's just no way in life that I would get to even meet them or chat with them, let alone spend a 45 minute, you know, public conversation with them. So I think those are the ones where for me and for whatever reason, I just, you know, those, those names, those iconic names in the industry are probably the most fun for me. Obviously there's, there's, there's a lot of positives that, that come with being the host. Is there, 
is there any downsides to it? You like the classic spend enough time in the chocolate factory. You don't like the taste of chocolate or whatever it is. Does it, is there anything you learn that might put you off or can you always manage to put that positive spin on something and it's, you found out something new, you want to learn more about it or, or has it, I mean, for me, the betting industry, sometimes I, I struggle to, to almost see sports as a, as a fan anymore because you're always thinking, oh, that's the arts variance or we were unlucky, we were lucky kind of thing. How's, how's that with you? Is there, is there any kind of negatives to doing the podcast or challenges, should I say? Yeah, I think there's probably two. The first one is just the fact that 90 plus percent, not let's say 98% people bet for entertainment and within their means or 99% or 99.5%, whatever it is, bet comfortably and, and it's an entertainment type product generally. Uh, and then there is a small percentage of people that that's not the case. So I think grappling with that, the fact that, you know, I work in the industry, I spend a lot of time on the podcast over the years and I really thoroughly enjoy the the betting games, as I've mentioned. So the fact that it's very difficult for for some people to to deal with gambling, certainly even whether it's illegal or, or legal gambling, and um, you know lose their houses, lose their livelihoods, and and even all the way towards towards suicide. I think that part of it, I wasn't you know as a young kid, you don't certainly don't think about a lot of those things. And I had um, I had I think Jamie, his name was a guest on a while ago now, but just hearing from someone like that talk about responsible gambling or, or just the way that addiction can creep in was certainly eye-opening for me. And I think it's shaped the way I think about betting more than I ever thought. Um, certainly with you know new markets in the US opening up and just thinking about ways to protect certain players and, and groups of players. And I know it's probably a um, bit more corporate speak to say, well, of course, you got to talk about responsible gambling or focus on it. But I think even if you're in that 99% and even if you're just an every Saturday horse racing punter or a weekend sports punter, you, you've, I pretty much guarantee almost everyone have had moments where they've bet too much and still within their means in, in theory or reality. But you know, you're like, shit, I, I probably didn't need to have that bet on that last race or bet on that strange soccer match later on in the day or the next day or overnight or whatever, like, cause I was chasing my losses or, or over betting and things like that. I think most people have had those moments in life and just the fact that others not only have those moments, but that's kind of their normal betting experience or that's their, that's possible for them every time they go to a casino or, or open a sports betting app. I think that's, it's hard for me to grapple with that. I would say it's troubling, but it's also the reality. And I, I wish there was uh, a way to be more, to address that more somehow, or yeah, that's, that's the one thing that I've certainly learned over the years that that part of the industry is, if you get if you grabbed a hundred betting podcast, I would say very rarely, if any, would would cover that topic at all. Um, I think it's probably in line with mental health across the board, and I know it's getting better. But I certainly think that there has to be a way we can make that more culturally uh, okay to talk about and culturally okay to to stand up. I think that's where you know growing up in Australia, swimming between the flags and wearing sunscreen was. I mean, it's a totally different analogy, but those two things were you know, really drummed into us that you must swim between the flags. You know, it's can be life or death if you're talking about, you know, the surf in Australia and wearing sunscreen and, and that whole push, um, even just drink driving, you know, growing up in Australia, you would never drink drive. Like, I think I did it once in my, in my life in Australia and it was terrifying and nervous because I didn't want to, you know, do anything wrong or certainly get caught, but also that whole designated driver campaign seemed to work relatively well. And, uh, I think for responsible gambling or just getting those people that, that need help, uh, the help is something that has been more obvious to me and just the way gambling works, you know, the zero sum nature and so on. That's one thing that's certainly been more illuminating. Yeah. And I, I think the second one is like you sort of touched on briefly as well is life becomes, uh, far less interesting when you learn a lot about gambling, I would say. <laughs> And I think the reason is that the luck versus skill component, and you put me onto a good book, which I just finished reading as well about the, the involvement of luck and skill in, in life and business and sports, and certainly learning a lot more about gambling and gambling games has shown me that <laughs> most things are probably, you know, basically luck. Um, there's certainly the skill goes into it and certain decisions and so on. But overall, uh, I think, yeah, luck is pretty dominant in what we do and how we do it. So that's tough because 
you like to think, or I like to think that me personally has some involvement in how things go or, or heavy involvement. But I think the reality is that that's just not the case. Um, and it's, it's one thing that certainly as time has, has elapsed and the podcast episodes have come out and I've looked into different aspects in more detail that, uh, that part of it, and it's tough. Like it's, it's not, not nice to think that you have little to no control over a lot of things, but I think that's one thing I've learned. And I think I, maybe I've swayed a little bit further than the average, or I probably have in terms of how much luck goes into things and just, you know, where you're born, what type of personality you're born with, um, you know, what circumstances are around you. And even just reading, I read a, an article by, I think it was Morgan Housel, the guy's name is about the three sides of risk. It's probably pretty easy to find, but you read things like that. You, you see, um, you know, how things can go from a gambling perspective in a pretty closed, closed off domain in like one sport, for example, and how you bet. Uh, and then you extrapolate that out to life and it, it doesn't make life that sexy anymore after a while when you, when you just try and apply probabilities or a curve to everything that you do. And, and that's where I don't know how you get rid of that. And maybe that's going to be helpful in, in my, you know, personal life and career and everything else over time to, to realize these things. But that's one thing that gambling, it take it saps some of the joy out of, out of life. You know, you can have certain things happen, which are great. And you were obviously, you know, making decisions and being heavily involved in. And then if you sit back and think about it and think, well, all the different things that had to happen for me to get into that position to make the call, the right call that it was made, it's way more luck than, than that decision that I made. And that's where, yeah, maybe it, maybe it takes away some of the enjoyment or, or whatever it might be out of, out of life and different things. So I think that's one thing I'll have to work on and try and allow myself to, uh, I don't know, not necessarily take more credit, but just to not let luck or the idea of luck override everything. And there's always a way to, I think just like there's always a way to apply praise to yourself for certain things. There's also plenty of, plenty of uh, area to apply luck to, to the exact same thing. And maybe I'll have to let luck slide a little bit and, Stop uh, listening and reading to to Mr. Bookdahl and others who uh, <laughs> were probably correct, but also uh, it does sap some of the enjoyment out of things. I'm sure he'll, there'll be a wry smile on his face after hearing that. And um, if you're anything like <laughs> me, it's it's one thing to to do it to yourself, but I've also now found myself friends that support certain soccer teams or whatever it might be, and they oh I think we can get a result today. I think we can get an important one as well. No. Technically, you only have an 8% chance of, of getting a win or they come yeah. up with a big result and we should have won that game. And it's, well, no, if you look at expected goals, like you actually didn't have the better of the game and stuff. It's not intent on doing it to myself. Now I've got to do it to other people as well. Um, and yeah, I guess to your to your first point as well, I mean, responsible gambling, there's no hiding from from how serious an issue that is. And I think I completely agree that there needs to be a shift from bookmakers do their job to to put in responsible gambling controls and things like that but there's there's a long way to go from that to then it becoming accepted and and people willing to talk about it and i think only when you begin to get to that point is when real action can be taken and and it can be properly kind of tackled and and stamped out to to what degree it can be i guess education is obviously a, a massive important part of that and i mean there's a lot of educational material out there relating to betting, probably not enough or barely any that relates specifically to, to responsible gambling. But there is a lot of, I mean, your podcast talked about how great that is. Obviously, Pinnacle's doing its own thing with with our podcast. There's a, a whole host of podcasts out there. There's articles, there's videos, there's there's everything you can think of related to betting. What do, What do you think that the amount of content out there kind of says about where the industry's at and, and kind of the way betters think. Do you think that's, is the content just a product of kind of the, the age we're in or, or is it more telling of the development of, of betting of the betting industry and, and behavior of betters? I might be too cynical, but I think that we haven't really evolved much at all. And I've tried to read a little bit about the history of gambling. I certainly have, couple of people here in the US who send me plenty of information about uh, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s with horse racing or even sports betting or bookies or, uh, you know, you hear a lot of stories about Rothschild and these types of names and how they did it. And, and even hearing about touts at horse tracks back in the, 
you know, early 1900s. I don't know that things have evolved and changed that much, to be honest. Uh, I think, you know, it's just dressed up a little bit differently. I think certainly the vast majority of content is short form content that, you know, can be consumed pretty quickly. I guess that's in line with how media has changed as well. And I'm still not convinced that education is what people want or is, you know, actually useful for them. I would like to think so. I mean, I hope so. I've spent a fair bit of time in the in that part of the space, I would say, but I, I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, the everyday person wants to listen to a 45 minute podcast and, and maybe only pick up one or two things that are useful for them. Um, and, and that, you know, may not be the, the right way or who knows, it could be the wrong way, but I think that's still up for debate. And I think, yeah, my, my, I guess, lean is towards people just want to uh, be told where the fish are out of the gate and will always certainly want that, or at least that'll be the starting point. Um, I don't think that really helps with progression and development and education, but, you know, maybe that's not what people want. And I think I've sort of realized over time that uh, there are plenty of people that maybe want both, or at least there's a middle range there where they, they do want some, you know, picks and tips, but they also want to understand, you know, how the sausage is made a little bit more than others. And certainly, you know, that's where I've tried to focus on. But it's it's difficult because people don't want to necessarily spend all that time um, understanding what's going on if they're just going to place one bet, if they're going to place a twenty dollar bet, and and I can understand that. But it's you know I think I've realized personal development out of this. I'm the lucky beneficiary of of having to look into certain things. You know, you and I talk about it with you know Kahneman and Tversky or Ed Thorpe or all these other areas outside of just betting. There's, you know, psychology, um, certainly there's, you know, behavioral economics and all these different things where you don't have to agree with everything, but you can certainly take different things and apply them to, to betting or even just life. And I think that's where I think we probably, you know, as a content industry, miss the boat a little bit. We can, or we should use betting. We should use probability. We should use curves that, that apply well to, to gambling in real life a lot more. And I think that's one thing that I've certainly noticed in my life is that I do that far better now than I ever did. And a lot of decisions that I'll make, I can think about them far differently rather than often being binary. Uh, I'll often think about them on a curve and that's helped me. I think it can certainly help others. And it's one of the offshoots of, of gambling content that I think is missed is that it can be more broadly useful. And hopefully that's something that changes over time. And the the flip side of like you said the the long form stuff the forty five minute chats or the the two thousand word articles essays whatever it might be there is that that stuff out there that claims to kind of I think you put it as show people where the fish are or or it plays up to this get rich quick idea the tips the touts and everything like that how does how does that kind of stuff sit with you is it do you have to accept that it's it's a it's a business world and people out there are going to make money or is that something that people really should be working towards to try and stamp that kind of stuff out? I honestly have no problem with it. I can I totally understand why people do it. I totally understand that it's the easier path. It's probably the short-term best path, maybe even medium-term best path, maybe even long-term best, best path. I think what I've sort of settled on is that for me, I'm thinking about, this long term, I'm thinking about, you know, the idea of content, the idea of a podcast, the idea of what I'm doing is, it's a seven to 10 year game that I'm playing in in betting content. It's not one season. It's not, you know, people talk about one season of tips and whatever or their record. And that's great. But I'm sort of thinking, you know, if I was to be able to do this for seven or 10 years, and stick at it and commit to, you know, one a week, generally, and all of the positive externalities that come with that, you know, building a network, building my own knowledge, listening to a lot of people talk about these different topics, developing with new ideas that people uh, are willing to bring up, interacting with even people on the internet who have, you know, very useful things to say. There's plenty of things that are beneficial to, to this space, I would say, as opposed to Man United playing Chelsea, you know, here's what I think, you know, this this has changed, this formation's changed, this player's changed, so on and so forth. All of that is is pretty short term. And I don't think it 
I want to try and align what I'm doing. And I would hope that the listeners as well want to align what they're spending their time on with not only betting and understanding sports better and probabilities better, but just generally life. I think if this didn't have any useful benefit to my life, I just wouldn't do it. If it was something that, you know, even if it, even if it made a little bit of money each week or whatever it might be, um, then I can understand that people do it for that reason. Uh, but I think longer term, there's just no path necessarily for most people who want to just do content that is not educational, that's not doesn't have long term benefits to either themselves, which I think in in and of itself is enough for me, um, or you know their audience. So I think that's one thing, and maybe I'm very different on that. I I don't know what you think, but I think that's certainly one of the ways I try and think about it. It's not a one season, one year, or even two year type thing. It's it's a seven to ten year game that I'm involved in, and I want to make sure I can extract as much out of you know the, that period of time with the guests and the people involved in a way that's you know sustainable you know i don't want to i don't want to get um guests on and try and pin them to a wall and ask them you know really hard questions that they don't want to talk about and they can't talk about and they don't want to give anything away on i mean that would just be pointless and wouldn't help anyone so i, I try and allow people to have a platform to talk on topics that they want to cover and address in a way that's longer form that allows them to go into nuance and detail, although not, you know, enough time to do that, but, but certainly enough time to, to get their point across. And I think that's one thing that, yeah, going back to the initial point, I think the education part is probably not sexy enough for most people. And a lot of people just think differently about this topic than I do. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's, it comes down to what are the, the aims of and ambitions of, of, of what you want to do. There's, there's no doubt that, Obviously, the the platform you give these guys to to talk about what they're doing it benefits maybe them to to a bit. It, it benefits your audience massively, but also on a personal level. Again, speaking from my my own experience, the the kind of having access to these kind of people and being able to speak to them for an hour or whatever it is at a time, like the amount you get out of that, to me, is worth more than running some tipster thing for a month and and making kind of a quick buck or or whatever it is. But certainly, there's a quite the contrast in the the betting content out there at the moment um but your your long game of of the podcast something that you've you've introduced is the the book club the new one that you've got going um we've kind of dropped a, a couple of nuggets you talked about the the success equation that i think you've recently read and and Tversky and, and Kahneman and stuff like that is there from the book podcast, is there anything you want to shout out to your listeners that's that's recommended reading at the moment or or something that they need to to put on their list to get through? Good question. I think the book club is basically a similar thing. I think, you know, it's not going to be every week. It's not even going to be every couple of weeks. It'll probably be something that people just stumble across in, in certain ways and maybe find some use out of it. Basically, I just want to have a place for anything interesting that I've found over the years where I really don't have an outlet for it um, or, you know, other people find interesting, to be frank, uh, across different books, you know, different research, different ideas, different thoughts um, that come out of, you know, materials like books. I think that's sort of, I wanted to just have a location for that. And I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves, if it even does evolve. Um, I don't know that people want this type of content. I think that's, you know, partly what we've just discussed, but it's certainly good for me to have a a record of some of the things that I've, you know, read and talked to other people about the, the, the most interesting part of, of covering a lot of this material is that you can have discussions with other people about it, get their thoughts on it, get different recommendations from them um, and continue to build on the, I guess, the arsenal of knowledge in the betting space. And that's probably going to be a home for that. So I'm not sure exactly how to go, but it's certainly, uh, certainly one thing I've wanted to do for a while. And, and again, if it, if it just becomes a, a, a database for me to go back and then I guess different topics that I've covered over the the time, then that'll be great. And that's more than enough. And if other people find use in it, then, then great too. And we'll see how it evolves. But I think similar to, to the, uh, the betting pot, it'll probably be a more of a long-term thing that just um, keeps me sane and um, we'll see what, what happens with that. But I think it is not that easy to do a, good podcast every week for sure. So doing more than one is probably going to be a challenge, but certainly um, it's it's one of those things that if a personal passion can override into useful personal development, then I've tried to make sure that that's a part of, of anything that I do. And for anyone listening to this that, that listens to, to your podcast, is there 
is there other materials out there that you think is is worth a mention whether it's like articles you've read online or essays or, or other podcasts outside of the pinnacle podcasts, obviously um but if you wanted to kind of give a shout out to anyone listening to this that you think is maybe aligned with you in terms of the content and and you think is is worth looking into where would you what direction would you point people in so i'm probably a little bit different to most well maybe not but i i listen to probably a wide range of different podcasts across the board you know i'll i'll tune in and out of podcasts i would say i don't generally listen to the same one every week um so i'll you know i'll do the deep dive one week i'll do um you know jason beam does a good horse racing one i like listening to i'll listen to you know the portal with eric weinstein sometimes i'll listen to some of the ringer nfl stuff depending on what's going on some of the aussie ones i think for me uh, the best use of my time is just to have a broad array of information from different people and different sources. That's what I find best. I'm certainly not one to just hone in on one one person, one show, one podcast. I think that, and I would suggest people don't do that with with mine as well because it's very useful. I think to have a a, a broad array of thoughts and ideas and approaches to to life, to gambling, and certainly I would say to podcasts where you should listen to other people, even if even if you think it's just a crappy tout podcast, sometimes there's some things in there that might be useful. Um, I think even if it's outside of your industry, outside of your world, there are some things that you can pick up along the way that are useful. So mine vary a lot. You know, I'll listen to Joe Rogan sometimes. Um, I'll listen to even, you know, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, some of those more popular ones. I'll go in and grab an episode or two and just leave them in my uh, in my iTunes app. And then I'll go back and, and listen when I have time. And a lot of the a lot of the time when I'll go for a run and things like that, um, I can you know get through a a full ninety minute podcast on on one of those runs, which is which is really good. But I would suggest if anyone is looking for material, forget about the material to start with. Just just try and get a a broad swath of different things and and see how you go in terms of broadening your horizons on some of this stuff. Well, I've nearly had you for an hour, Jake. I'm 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 wary that we should begin to wrap up soon. There is just a couple of I just wanted to touch on maybe one more topic before we before we call it a day, and that's just the the betting industry as a whole and kind of where things are at. Obviously, so much has changed over the last even couple of years. I mean, it's changing month to month. But from your perspective and speaking to everyone you've spoken to in the industry, how would you kind of summarize where? where the betting industry is now and and where it kind of needs to move or, or what needs to change in the future for it to really be successful and 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 kind of help help betters out there but also provide an opportunity for bookmakers and whoever it might be to to make profit from their product so i think we've we've obviously seen some consolidation and maybe i'm biased towards australia or even the us but I think uh, we're in that phase now where we've seen what's happened with the Flutter Group. Um, we're certainly seeing an interesting evolution in the US now with with DraftKings and obviously FanDuel being part of that Flutter Group leading the way here. But it's I think it's sort of at a, a little bit of an interesting crossroad, certainly from my perspective, because we've seen that consolidation. So it's it's possible that we'll just go down that path and and the duopolies or the top three or four bookmakers in many jurisdictions will continue to lead the way and they'll just get bigger and stronger and consolidate on a more global basis. I think that's certainly possible. But I also think with the US opening up, I think obviously with you know Europe, I wouldn't say it's contracting, but just with some of the, the talk in the UK, for example, and, and different parts of Europe being hit pretty hard by COVID-19 as well. Uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a tumultuous probably twelve or eighteen months potentially depending on how long this lasts. So I'm not entirely sure. I was probably more confident, you know, at the end of last year or earlier in the year um, that it that it might have been far more positive. But I'm not I'm not quite sure yet what we're going to get through this COVID period and whether or not that'll be a good thing or or a bad thing for the industry overall. Obviously, it's not great from a retail perspective. I know there's been some positive steps with online casino from a turnover and revenue perspective but i think it'll be a fascinating 18 months because there's plenty of different directions that i see this could go from a industry point of view um and and maybe i'll you know lean slightly towards consolidation but i think the one thing that i've sort of hoped for let's say and and maybe even relied upon throughout the the last few years and speaking to a lot of people is is just I don't know that innovation is the right word. It always gets thrown out there. There needs to be innovation. There needs to be innovation. I think 
the process of placing a bet, you know, hasn't changed and won't change, but there needs to be some ancillary um, innovation, whatever the right word is, to to spark things up a little bit. And I, you know, you you just Google, you can find the Robin Hood of sports anywhere. You can find a couple of these, you know, cool hip terms the that are thrown out there. But I really hope that there is something coming, you know, in the next couple of years that adds more interest. And I know there's plenty of things out there already, um, you know, whether it's something like, you know, the football index or sports stack in the UK, things like that, or even here in the US, there's a couple of things bubbling under the surface. But I think that's something that I sincerely hope happens because I want to see, you know, interesting options for for the punters and the betters out there. I want to see sustainability for the, for the bookmakers out there as well. Um, I think the marketing race to the bottom type stuff is, it is what it is, but it's also, um, it's, you know, not certainly not a sexy topic from my perspective either. So I, I want to try and see more of a focus on product, um, try and see what we can have here in terms of an evolution in, in sports betting, let's say over the next decade. Uh, I think there's certainly room to move and I hope that it happens, but you know, I think the COVID stuff will probably play a big part or, or a far bigger part than we know today. I think it'll have a pretty long lasting effect um, just, you know, on the, on the, on the world probably, but certainly here in the U S it'll, it'll take its toll. It's still sort of seemingly earlier on than, than later on in its um, in wave one, if that's the right word. So I think that'll probably play a relatively big part. And I mean, we'll see it's, it's as interesting as it's ever been, in my opinion, um, to be, you know, in and around the gambling industry. There's always certainly been opportunities on the betting side and there's certainly, you know, opportunities on the, the bookmaking side as far as I can see it with new markets and, and new opportunities. So I would say it's, although there's some, you know, downsides with the, the retail and land-based stuff, um, there is certainly some, some good opportunities for those who are willing to take them. Yeah, and the exciting stuff that that probably gets talked about more is, like you said, the the product development, the new markets, and things like that 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 become available. But there's also, or seemingly, quite a shift towards regulation. And I know, kind of close to home for you, Australia, the a real kind of tight focus on regulation and, and responsible gambling. Is that? Do you think we'll see that approach mirrored a, across other countries and regions in the future? I think so. I think you know, by the time that I retire we'll probably have a global betting ecosystem where, you know, I'll be able to, if I live in New York and I go home to Melbourne in Australia, or I'm, you know, on a holiday in, uh, in London or wherever it might be, um, there's a potential that I'll just have the single bookmaker app on my phone or whatever we're using then a watch or, or sunglasses and be able to bet, you know, seamlessly through that same wallet, same experience, so on and so forth. So maybe that's a long way off, but I think, that's probably going to be the nature of things. And even now I see a lot of friction with the international nature of the world, the internet um, and how that operates today with how gambling does. A lot of gambling regulation is more than a decade old in, in some respects and doesn't necessarily capture the essence of what it's like to place a bet online. And, you know, you ask anyone who's involved in betting at any serious level and say, you know, do you, do you use Pinnacle? And when I say use, do you look at their, their lines? Do you look at their prices? Do you, you know, monitor what's going on at Pinnacle? And this could be someone in Australia. It could be someone in the US. It could be someone in Europe, could, anywhere, Africa. And they'll pretty much always say, yes, yes, I look at Pinnacle. Of course I use Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the best free information out there. Whatever the Pinnacle price is, is really, really useful. Um, same with some other, you know, major bookmakers out there. So, that's the nature of gambling purely from that perspective. And if you think about how it's going to evolve, I think it's going to be a, a very much a global ecosystem where, um, you know, barriers like state lines, barriers like, you know, national lines will probably fade away a little bit. And I hope, but I'm not optimistic, just given the nature of um, how legislation works and how regulation works, it'll take some time to catch up. But I, I do hope one day that we can get to a point where, Things are a little bit more seamless. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the cost in the industry is by lack of being able to scale, you know, usefully across jurisdictions, whether it's state or, or national or international. So I hope a lot of that goes away, and I think that'll be that'll allow a lot of the businesses to operate in a bit of a different fashion, which would be cool because it would allow, you know, more offerings to the customers, better products, hopefully, or at least product development and investment in that. And, and competition, you know, I don't like necessarily that it's very difficult for a 
startup or a small business in the gambling space to get off the ground. It's it's a really difficult thing. It's not always the case in every industry, but it certainly is in, in gambling. I would say there's there's some avenues for small businesses, there's some avenues for startups and and ideas, but I think more so it's it's not the case because of you know you look at all the functions required to operate a sports book, um, customer service, KYC, trading, technology, operations, legal, compliant. Like you just go down the list, and it's it's difficult. So, not to say we got to scrap legal compliance and and everything else, but I'm I'm just trying to figure out a world where we we have sort of you know going through a process once, twice, three times, maybe instead of you know twenty five times across all the different jurisdictions would be interesting. Like a a centralized body for, you know, vetting type thing, whether it's a licensing process or otherwise, I think at, at a certain point, if we can get to that level, it would be really cool to see because then that'll free up some time and people. And, you know, there are plenty of very, very smart people in the gambling world and the gambling industry. And if we allow those people to, to focus on different things other than uh, a lot of the, the required work today, then that might be a, a very interesting outcome for all of us. And if I was to give you a magic wand or a genie comes out and grants you one wish is it for that that uh that global ecosystem in the betting industry is there is there something personal related to betting that you'd go for you got you got one wish what is it i think it would be a <clears throat> i think it would be a uh a betting exchange at the north pole <clears throat> with a zero percent tax rate that is as tightly strung from a legal and compliance and regulatory perspective as possible and as required. So it's very safe. It's very fair. It's very well organized and well run. The technology is excellent and it's available and open to everyone in the world. And they're not taxed to the hill. They're not treated like they're a cash cow for a, you know, governments or anything like that. And, you know, pricing is, is pretty close to 0% takeout. Um, I'd love to see that experiment work and see what happens with, uh, I think it's possible that fan engagement would go up. I think it's possible that if it was a user-friendly interface for both, you know, recreational and entertainment punters, as well as professionals or everyone else in between, um, that type of, that type of, uh, offering would be just fascinating to see. And obviously it's a very extreme example, but I think, uh, that type of example and that type of situation would just be fun to watch and see how it see how it worked. I mean, it could, it could just fail um, spectacularly and I would be very wrong, but I, I would hope it would have some success and would, would show, and obviously it's not possible in any, you know, any, any place really to do something like that, but, but something like that would just be a cool experiment to see. And, and if, uh, if that was to happen, I'd love to sit back and watch. Yeah. I love the, I love the idea of it. Um, I think we've probably run out of time for today. I, I've really enjoyed recording the episode. I know our listeners will enjoy it as well. So thanks for coming on, Jake. I really appreciate it and and keep up the good work that you're doing. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great. And I, I certainly enjoy listening to, to all of your shows. So it's, uh, it's certainly mutual and I'm sure we'll get to do this again. Well, thank you very much. And, and thank you to everyone for listening. Of course, if you don't already, make sure you subscribe to Jake's Business of Betting podcast as well as the Business of Betting pod book club both well worth the listen we've said a couple of times over 100 guests on there and you can scroll through and listen to each and every one of the episodes and and learn something different so go subscribe go give that a listen thank you to everyone for listening today and, and bye for now thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest episode of the serious about betting podcast remember to subscribe to the pinnacle podcast on your preferred platform to keep up to date with all of our series you can also review the podcast, give us feedback and suggest future guests that you want to be interviewed. 